Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,354. Today we're going to have a fun talk about wagons versus non-wagon cars for people like us who love sports cars. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in northeastern Massachusetts, all the way across the country, with a very special guest by the name of Mark Hutchison. Mark, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, sir, I am. And by the way, I still know how to drive a car with a clutch. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, um, both my kids, um, it was mandatory. They learned how to drive on a manual car. And I'll tell you, in high school, I think they were the only two kids in their entire high school that knew how to drive a stick shift. So there you go. Yeah, it'll help them in the future. I believe it. And by the way, none of my kids know how to drive a manual transmission. I'm, I'm certain about that. I'm going to have to give your son, Nick, who's been a guest on the show, a call and talk to that boy about that. Hmm, interesting. Could I tell you a quick story about Nick with a manual transmission? Yes, please do. Nick went to Iceland. He had rented a car. He wanted to get off the beaten track. It was an RV, as a matter of fact. Come to find out that every single RV in Iceland is a manual transmission because of the mountains, because you need to drive it up over the mountain and you need to use the, the gears to brake on the way down. And he was dead in the water right from day one. He couldn't drive the, so he had to change his vacation plans. He still enjoyed Iceland and loves it, but couldn't rent a car in Iceland. Oh, that's funny. Oh, gosh. Now I got something to rib him with. Well, uh, for you listeners that missed my talk with Mark's son, uh, you got to go back because he's got a uh, wonderful website and vlog called Book Thinkers, and you listeners know we love books here, so uh, uh, Nick is uh, is quite a well-read young man, So and a quite a successful business, too. Now, before I introduce you, though, and we dive into what's going to be, I think, a little bit of a unique show for us here, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Mark? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. I've got a few things that nobody knows about me. <laughs> one that, well, I'm an army brat. My, uh, my father was uh, a full colonel, United States Army, a West Pointer, class of 56, and people really don't know that I've got a – I feel like I was in the Army for 18 years. Well, you were in a way, and I appreciate his service and yours too because my wife is a military brat from the Marine Corps. Her dad was a colonel in the Marine Corps, and I remember the first time I went to meet him, I was so nervous. You know, and you walk in the front door, and there's a giant Marine Corps plaque on the wall, and you you have these visions of what a Marine is going to be like. He was the nicest guy, uh, awesome person, so lucky to have him in my life. We lost him some years ago, but uh, yeah, very, very special. But uh, my hat's off to everybody who serves and their families because— Having, you know, known Jill and listening to her stories of having to move all the time and growing up in that lifestyle and the sacrifices family members have to make for the country as well. I'm very appreciative. So very good. I agree 1000%. I have great respect for I stop every time I'm out. You get a guy wearing a Navy hat, a Marine hat, whatever, Vietnam veteran. I stop and I give him a proper salute. And they're, they're appreciative. They, they love it. Great respect for the military. Absolutely. Well, let's get into your world. So I'm going to introduce you. Mark Hutchison is an automotive enthusiast with a love for station wagons. Uh, his on-the-road career in the athletic footwear industry has included time at Adidas, 
Fila plus Foot Locker, Coleman Sporting Goods, and Athletic Attic. This combined with having a family of dogs, four boys, and a need for a family-style car has put vehicles like minivans, Jeeps, and Suburbans in his driveway. However, his latest ride has elevated the fun of his time on the road. Mark has a Mercedes-Benz AMG, oh my, E63 wagon, so he's probably the only sales rep in the country combining his Love for cars and sportiness with his profession. Uh, he might be the only sales rep in the country that's lucky enough to fold down the back seats of his race car delivery car, pack it with bags of shoes, and drive it to every corner of New England. Uh, I wonder if Fila makes driving shoes. We'll learn about that in a minute. And by the way, uh, one of his four children, as I mentioned before, Nicholas, has been on the show here. He's from Book Thinkers, so go back to the Carsio website if you get if you miss my talk with him. Amazing young man that you've raised there. So bravo to you and your wife. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Mark, we are back. Now, most of my guests on the show have careers in the automotive sector. You're a little different, but your passion runs so deep that your son said, you've got to have my dad on your show because he loves cool cars. I've learned a little bit more about you, though, in our pre-show chat. You also love detailing cars, and my listeners will know we've had so many detailers on the show, and I worked in that industry creating products for a long time. But I want to talk a little bit first about your career because we always do that here what got you into the athletic shoe biz? What keeps you there? And I want to also get your uh, comments on this new movie. Not so new now, but came out about uh, that other brand called Nike. I know we don't talk about them, but uh, the deal that they did with uh, Michael Jordan, which I wondered, you probably have seen it, what you thought about it. But let's start with your career. What you got? What got you into this career? When I graduated from high school, 
I was 17 years old. I have a late August, August 30th birthday. So I was 17 years old and a buddy of mine wanted to go to California. I was pretty set in my ways. They weren't thrilled, but we got on a plane. We flew to Los Angeles. We didn't have a job. We didn't have a place to stay. We thought we knew everything. We thought we had a pretty good idea what we could do and where we could stay. It kind of all fell through. And we went to the mall in Glendale, California, you know, in the L.A. area and got a job at Foot Locker. Now, I had always been interested in athletic footwear. I wrote a paper on it while I was in high school. And I was an athlete. I played different sports. So I was always looking at what was coming from Adidas or coming from Nike or coming from Puma and what was happening in that industry. So I I gravitated towards Foot Locker, got a job and turned out to be one of their better salespeople uh, on the floor. And this feels like 100 years ago, but that was my start in the uh, athletic footwear industry, probably 1979, 80. Oh, cool. Well, and that company was rather young back then. Uh, hadn't been around for a super long time. But you mentioned Puma. I remember Nike had come online back when I was in high school in the 70s, um, and people were starting to wear that. But Puma was this kind of obscure brand. And a friend of mine found a, one store in San Diego, downtown San Diego, that sold them. So I went, his dad drove us down there, and we bought these Puma shoes and wore them to school. And everybody was like, what? wait, what are those? So I like to say maybe we were a little bit of a trendsetter back there. That was the last thing to be called a trendsetter. But shoes, man, they've come a long way, right? By the way, a lot of people don't know that uh, Adidas and Puma were founded by brothers. Well, I didn't know that either. Adi Dossler and Rudolf Dossler. So these brothers had a falling out. Herzegonaura, Germany, and they one opened his one state in the factory on this side of the river and the other had his factory on that side of the river and he formed Puma. Wow. I didn't know it, that. Well, fascinating. Incredible story. Yeah. That, well, very, very cool. Yeah. And very successful companies for sure. Now you work today for Fila? I work for Fila. Fila is an Italian brand founded in 1911, but it was actually a, a textile brand. They were making clothing and underwear. And they introduced shoes. They made a big splash in the footwear industry when they were producing uh, footwear and apparel for Bjorn Borg. Ah, okay. In fact, Fila introduced color to tennis. We had a pinstripe polo shirt that actually still sells well today. Bjorn Borg is still a brand ambassador for Fila. So Fila, I've been with Fila for now 10, 11, 12 years. Wow. Well, it's a very cool brand. And I know also Fila had some affiliations because uh, where I used to work, we sold some shoes for a time, got involved with uh, Pelodi, uh, with the founder, uh, Kevin, when he first started that company. And uh, I remember thinking, I, we have no place selling shoes, but they were car related. So that's kind of a cool deal. But I remember Fila also being associated with Ferrari for a time. With some of their Ferrari kind of does that. They license a Ferrari name to different people. And so we did sell some Fila Ferrari driving shoes slash walking shoes, that kind of thing. But uh, And that begs me to ask the question, does Fila make a driving style shoe that you can wear while you're in this AMG? I am very impressed with your attention to detail because, yes, there was a collaboration between Fila and Ferrari. You can search that and find those shoes. Fila has several different driving styles, and they're just very... Uh, flat on the bottom so that you can touch and feel your accelerator and your clutch. So ours just had the cosmetic look, but they weren't really functional driving shoes. Right. By the way, just today, I think, not today, but nowadays there is a collaboration between McLaren and K-Swiss. Yes. So 
The car collaborations continue in the footwear industry. There is a lot of them. And Puma, who we mentioned earlier, has a collaboration with AMG and BMW. Yeah, it's all tied. I'd love to buy an AMG t-shirt, but I can't buy one if it's got Puma on it. Well, of course. Yeah, you got you to support the home team for sure. Exactly. Well, we got to talk a little bit about cars here because what got us together was the fact that you love cars. And I've also learned that you love detailing cars. And in our pre-show chat, uh, Mark and I talked a little bit about some past guests, the Ammo brand. And I'm going to introduce him to some other car care brands because he loves taking care of his cars. But wagons in particular kind of ring my bell a little bit. Um, mainly because wagons used to be a big thing. The the first new car my parents ever bought was a, I think it was a 67 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. Now you're old enough to remember the Vista Cruisers with the window around the top? Absolutely. Yeah. We were a Chevy Kingswood estate family with there, the there uh, faux wood paneling on the side. Yeah, we had faux wood too, which I'll tell you a funny story. I My dad, when I was about 12 or 13, he let me back the car out of the garage. Big deal, right? Well, we had these big eucalyptus trees, and I got a little too close to one and rubbed that faux wood against and realized that's not real wood. That's just like a decal. And I was so panicked that um, I didn't say anything. And that night when all the parents were asleep, I went out in the garage with my tester's paints, and I repainted that little area that I damaged on the car. I never told them. They never noticed. So, And I was the guy that washed the car so that I had to be real careful on that spot. But uh, yeah, then they got another one, the Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. But I want to talk a little bit about your choice of wagons because I know you've had different vehicles in your garage or in your driveway, wherever they live. But how did it all happen with the AMG? I mean, that is a sweet ride. I am a Mercedes wagon fan. I'm a station wagon fan. I, I joke around and I'll, I'll point out any station wagon I see on the road. There's a guy not too far down the road. He's He uses them in a demolition derby, I think. And oh his God. cars are so old and big and beat up. Yeah. I'd love to stop and take pictures of him and talk to him about it. But uh, my first Mercedes wagon was used. It was a 2005 and I absolutely loved it. When I told my kids I was buying a Mercedes, they were super excited. They they thought, wow, that's great, a Mercedes. I can't believe it. Because we've always been a Jeep family, a Chevy family, a Dodge Caravan family. There's always been so many kids and so many dogs to move around. But they were excited that I was getting a car for myself and it was going to be a Mercedes. When they found out it was a station wagon, they're like, oh, come on, Dad. <laughs> a grocery getter? Come on. Exactly. And it's been nothing but Mercedes wagons for me since. I put over, that car was handed down to a kid or two when I got my newest one, which was a 2011. Absolutely loved that car. Big difference from the 05. And a slightly different motor. I had a 3.2 liter six in the, it was an E320 in the first one, an E350 in the next one. And I put 208,000 miles on my silver 2011 wagon. And I was talking to my wife and I said, I'm, I'm getting the itch to get a new car, new technology, uh, something a little bit newer. There's a lot going on with these wagons. And I said to her, I'd like to learn how I want to register and bring a trailer or a P car market. And I want to learn how to do these auctions. And she said, okay, go ahead. I said, I'm going to keep an eye out for an E63 wagon but they're selling for 50, 55 or 60,000. So I'll never buy one, but I want to learn how to bid. I want to learn the process. Yeah. And so here comes a 2012 wagon. I wanted something newer. It was black. I didn't want black. I'm starting to bid. I'm learning the process. I'm registered. Uh oh. <laughs> the car was in Toronto, Canada. 
which also complicates things a little bit. I knew nothing about importing a car to the United States. I happen to be an expert now, so I'm happy to talk to anybody who needs my info on how to bring a car into the United States that's not over 25 years old. So somebody's bidding with me 36,000. 36.5, 37,000, 37,250, 37.5. And then I bid 38,000 and my computer dings and it says two minutes left in the auction. I'm scared to death. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Oh, now I've done it. I didn't want black. I didn't want 2012. I wasn't sure. I just wanted to learn the experience. Yeah. You got the red mist, my friend. One minute left in the auction, 30 seconds left in the auction. Congratulations. You've won the auction. There you go. Yeah. Uh I wasn't ready to buy. Um, I didn't. I started. I was in panic mode. But you can't get out of those things because you've taken the opportunity for somebody else to buy a car. So if you're going to get on Bring a Trailer or a P Car Market or Cars and Bids or whatever, you've got to be serious about it. You have to know what you're doing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've seen those cars that didn't sell because somebody didn't come through. And that's so disappointing, not only for the owner, uh, all that effort and time. But uh, yeah, the guy that really wanted it was ready to buy, but was just behind you. So uh, yeah, bring a trailer is quite a phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, it can suck you in. It is amazing. And even though I now happen to own my dream car, I still look because it's fun to look. It's, It's fun to see what's out there and what's available because this opens up all 50 states to anybody interested in, in anything out yeah, there. Yeah. Plus what would they call all the people commenting, you know, the, the gallery, yes. the peanut gallery, that's the word I'm looking yes. for. You learn a lot of things about cars and you know, they'll call people's feet to the floor. If somebody doesn't post something right, I was, I've been following Porsches for a long time there. I just sold a Porsche last summer there, my, my beloved orange crush. And that was a great experience on bring a trailer. And, um, yeah, they'll cite things that you go, Hmm, okay. Maybe that car has been repainted or damaged that you didn't see. So I love all those comments. Some of them are a little snarky and they police it pretty well, but I find that it's a, it's a valuable education on these cars, right? I agree. When somebody says, how in the world could you do that? I say, well, first of all, you can look at 200 pictures. You can look at every seam, every gap. You can look at the service history. You can look at uh, startup videos, cold start videos, driving videos. You actually know what you're buying. And I'm happy to say that I am not disappointed at all with what I did. Now, what I had to do was I had to buy a one-way plane ticket to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> I had to wire the money. Here you are wiring the money to Canada. You're flying to Canada. You're hoping the guy's actually going to pick you up. And you're wondering, is the, yeah, is the guy going to even be there or the car? A little spooky. And then, of course, I had to drive the car across the border. You go to the ministry in Canada, not the registry, and they give you a 10-day temporary plate. Now, that plate allows you to drive the car into the United States, but it also gives you 10 days to register uh, and insure the car, so on and so forth, which is not an easy process. You actually need to get a registered importer. Your car can sit on somebody's lot for up to 30 days where you can't drive it because the um, National Traffic Highway Safety Administration has to actually look at that car. They have to send somebody to come and look at the car. They look at headlights and bumper height and they look at emissions but they also probably look to see if maybe that vehicle is being used to smuggle something across the border or stolen. So that car can sit for 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, oh no, what did I do? But 
Again, it all worked out. I have to say it probably cost an extra maybe four to five thousand dollars, which I'm not so certain my wife is 100 percent aware of. Well, sh- we won't tell her. OK, let's just keep that quiet between us. <laughs> right. I'll keep that a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't stay married long if you keep secrets like that. I've learned that with all the cars that I bought. You just got to put it out there and say, I got a disease, honey. I, I don't go to the bar. I don't chase women. I'm just out in the garage having fun with the car. It's same with me. Uh, I am. I, I don't go to a bar. Uh, I do go out in the garage. I love to putter in the garage, and I love to, as as you mentioned before, clean my car, detail my car. You know, people say, "Are you washing that again?" I say, "Yes, it's black and it's got a little bit of dust on it." So I've yeah. got to get that. You're a brave man. It runs better when it's clean. Yeah, faster. Well, you're a brave guy. I don't think I could own a black car. I'm too much of a nutcase about cleanliness. And yeah, it's, it's hard, especially where I live. You know, there's weather up here. It rains all the time. But, you know, I was uh, before we talked today, I was looking at there aren't many wagons available these days. Now, you go to Europe and you see some really cool wagons. And I used to travel to Europe all the time. I go, I want that. I want that. I want that. And you can't bring them into the country. So I, I went and I looked, and the, the really the only wagons today that are available, of course, the Mercedes. Volvo has the V60, V90 uh, cross-country, which is kind of a nice-looking car. Audi A6 All-Road, and, of course, the RS Avant. Oh, be still my heart. Uh, the Subaru Outback, which I guess is kind of a wagon. Ferrari GTC4 Lusso. I guess you could call that a wagon. It's a stretch. It's a two-door. You're not going to take that car to Home Depot or Lowe's. Well, you know, and I've seen those at Home Depot, which I kind of go bravo to you, buddy, for uh, driving that car. But kind of interesting. The Mini Clubman, you could kind of call that. It looks like a miniature uh, minivan to me, but it's a wagon. i tell you one I saw the other day, Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo. Uh, nice looking wagon uh, for sure. But that's kind of it. I mean, American cars, they don't really make wagons anymore. What do you think's with that? Well, you are correct. Everybody here has gone to a sport utility vehicle. Um, I've had a few of my, uh, my, myself, I've had Jeep Grand Cherokees. We've got a Jeep at the family uh, now, but uh, Americans, I think, think that wagons are geeky and they're for mom, they're for soccer practice, so on and so forth. The minivan sort of took that position. And then now the sport utilities are all the rage. But that's one of the reasons I love the wagon, because nobody has one. I think in my entire, I drive a lot, used to drive a lot. Uh, That's all changed. It changed with COVID and it's changed with a number of independent shoe stores that have actually gone out of business because Amazon has come on and Nike opens their own stores and Adidas opens their own stores and they want to control the distribution 100%. But one time I was on the Mass Pike heading towards Albany. I was in probably the middle lane. I'm always looking at the traffic around me. I think there's a lot of bad drivers on the road. I think a lot of people are texting. I think a lot of people are emailing. So I, I try to be aware of what's happening around me. In the fast lane, I see a white Corvette. It's way behind me. Is it a half a mile, a quarter of a mile? I'm not sure. But here it's coming in. But I saw a Mercedes next to it. It was a white one. And I could tell the roof rails. I knew it was a wagon. And they went past me at probably 120 miles an hour, maybe more. The Corvette could not shake the wagon. And all I saw was E63 on the back of the wagon. (laughs) And smile. And I'd like to tell your listeners, for those who don't know, who might find this interesting. My car is a 5.5 liter twin turbo V8 with 550 horsepower and 590 pounds per feet of torque. And that's why I called it a race car. And it is just so spectacular to drive a car with that kind of power comfortably and safely. And I would love one day 
uh, to see how fast I could drive that car in a straight line legally. So I've got to go to the racetrack. They have driver's days, you know, uh, at racetracks many times or clubs. You can join the Mercedes club. Maybe they do that. Here they have open track days up at Pacific Raceway. So you can do it in a really safe way because you're right. There's too many people not paying attention these days. It's just way, way, way too dangerous to be traveling at the speeds those guys are traveling at. And when you crash at that speed... Good luck. <laughs> yeah, things get I know. get bad really fast. You know, I was thinking of a couple other wagons that uh, have been out there, and I'm like Dodge. Remember the Magnum wagon? Uh, good love friend, it. Good friend of mine, Chris, has been on the show. You know, that car had I think four or five hundred horsepower. A monster. The Cadillac. They made a wagon. They don't currently make it, but I I uh, I am a fan. In fact, that car was available with a five speed or a six speed at the time yeah. when Mercedes was always only available as an automatic. But I love those CTS Vs. I think it was yes, monster. Yeah, they're fast. Yeah, they're wicked, wicked fast cars. You know, we love to talk about inspiring people. And you're a very outspoken, I mean, you've been in sales, so you know how to talk to people, you're friendly. But if you go back in time, was there one person that maybe was quite an influential person on you, a mentor, if you will, that that helped you move through your life and your career? Well, I would have to say my father. Hmm. And I would get a little bit emotional uh, talking about him right now. So let me take a deep breath. And I understand. Uh, yep. Take a moment. When I talk about that man, you know, full colonel, United States Army, West Point, couple of tours in Vietnam, I just looked up to him. We might have to. Uh, That's okay. Take your time. We might have to trim a few seconds there. That's okay. And I try to raise my children the same way. You know, you asked me earlier, is there something people don't know about me? One of the things my dad never swore. I don't swear. I really don't know that I've ever heard my kids swear in front of me. I like to be a little bit different in that respect. I told you I drive a wagon because nobody has one. I'm in sales, so I have to communicate. I'm in shoe stores. I'm talking to the store owner, the store buyer, so on and so forth. You have to conduct yourself in a professional manner. And it's just one thing that I don't do. And people... They don't know that about me because it seems to me these days, everybody swears. People yeah. have difficulty using, you know, saying a sentence without swearing. Yeah. And they would automatically think to me or about me that I swear. And uh, here I am getting off on a little tangent when we were talking about my dad. But that was one of the things I remembered about him and always impressed me because I looked up at him in that uniform and I looked at at his credentials and what he did, you know, post-career in the military. And uh, I've just never been more impressed by anybody than him. Well, very fortunate to have him in your life, as you know. And yeah, I share the same same thing. And these days, it seems like swearing is just kind of part of it. And I still just don't like it. <laughs> and, uh, I don't do it on my show. That, and I have a lot of people that reach out and say, hey, I like to listen to your show in the car with the kids. They're learning about careers. They love cars and things like that. But uh, to me, it's always been a, a respectful thing. My father taught me the same thing. Uh, and my mom, I don't think I ever heard either of them until maybe much. I think I've never heard my mom say anything like that. But my dad, maybe much later in his life a couple times and i kind of went what what did you just say you know yeah so uh, i'm worried about myself at that point you know you never know when you're on your deathbed is it is all going to come out well well we'll see let's uh, hope that's a long long time from now you know challenges are another key factor here i love to talk about and the reason i like to share them or have my guests share them is their life lessons that we have to go through but they're super valuable And uh, I'd like you to share maybe one in your life, could be in your professional career or in your life that you faced and how it taught you something really valuable that you can even share today. One thing that comes to mind immediately is at 17 years old with $300 in my pocket, flew to California with a friend 
And the job possibility we thought we had fell through. So there I was. I couldn't admit uh, defeat or that I lost and call my parents and say, I'm coming home. We went and got jobs. And it actually steered me in the direction, you know, the athletic footwear industry. But we got jobs. We were able to pay our bills. We were able to find an apartment. We were able to survive. And I actually bought I bought a 68 Chevy Nova with $650. Oh, wow. Because we were taking the bus everywhere we had to go. But I, we got to the point where we tried to have a legit budget, save our money, and, and accomplish our goals. And then, you know, after about a year out in California with my friend, I said, you know what? I need to go home. I need to go to college. I need to get serious about this. This was fun. But we've kind of been here for a year, and it didn't exactly work out like we planned, but we were faced with uh, a situation that was pretty dire and it, it worked out pretty well because it put me in this industry in one way, yeah. working for Foot Locker, and it taught me to uh, accomplish something on my own. Well, yeah, a great lesson. Uh, absolutely. We tried to go to a different beach every weekend or whenever we had an opportunity. So I would do the same thing. I Something funny about the Nova at a certain point, luckily my friend that I went to California with was mechanically inclined. He could fix any motor, but the carburetor would freeze at a stop later, a stop sign. I actually had to jump out, pop the hood, pop the carburetor, and uh, it would open up and we could drive away. It's so embarrassing. But he, we may have rebuilt that carburetor. He may have, uh, or we just always had some uh, WD-40 or some lube with it so that we could try to keep that thing open so it could breathe. So I want you to share one special vehicle in your life that you've had that brings back some great memories. Well, I'm driving my special vehicle, but I, I would love this. Uh, I would love to tell this other little story. My brother, uh, my older brother, Steve, uh, West Point, class of 82, his first tour of duty was in Schweinfurt, Germany. So his in-laws came to Germany and they bought a Mercedes-Benz 190 diesel. That was a 2.5 liter, five-cylinder diesel. It was the baby Benz. It was a color thistle green metallic and it had a leather interior and it was a brand new Mercedes-Benz. When his in-laws passed away, nobody wanted the car. The car was in Minnesota. And he called me and said, hey, you're a Mercedes guy. My brother lives in Virginia. And we don't talk all that often. We don't talk cars all that often. Nobody wanted that car. So I stuck my hand up. I said, I want that car. I had a 1987 2.316, 190E 2.316. It was a car that Mercedes developed with Cosworth. They did the 2.3. It was a 32 valve. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. And I love that car. But anyway, this diesel had the same body and I love that era. I love that style. But I bought the car. I bought it for, I think, $2,000. It cost $1,000 to ship it to Massachusetts. I put some money into it. I cleaned it to get everything working the right way. It had 103,000 miles on it. I absolutely loved it. Again, that's another car my kids didn't get because I would put the windows down, I'd open the sunroof, and I would drive it with a big smile on my face. Now, in Massachusetts, there is the Lars Anderson Auto Museum. It is the oldest auto museum in the country. Lars Anderson, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, was a uh, U.S. ambassador to some foreign country. But he had a carriage house. He had 75 acres in Brookline, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, would be worth an absolute fortune today. You probably couldn't put any money on that. It's a park now. They have lawn events. 
So I entered my car, my 190 diesel. I entered the car. It was a Father's Day. Actually, Nick and one of my other kids went with me. They were bored out of their minds. I'm in seventh (laughs) heaven. I put the car on display. And my car that day, German car day, won best German car. Wow. Congratulations. They said it was a time capsule. Yeah. And it was because it had some scratches on it. It looked like when the car was... In the garage, maybe somebody put some stuff on the trunk lid or on the hood, and, and it had character, but it was in remarkably good condition. And I won Best German Car. There were there was a, a $265,000 Mercedes convertible that looked like a million dollars. There were gull wings, but they just, the judges just loved my car that day. So Yeah, well, sometimes simple is best and something that's loved is uh, pretty special in the car world for us car car guys. So that's kind of cool. Loved it, loved it. Yeah. It was a lot of So I'm a bit of a car psychologist and I know in sales, psychology kind of comes into play. You got to kind of measure up somebody pretty quickly of how they're perceiving what you're doing. You got to treat them well, all the things that you've learned over time. Uh, in this case, though, I'm going to take you to a place that nobody's probably ever taken you. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be? But more importantly, why? I would be the car I drive. Okay. That car is my bucket list. Yeah. Here we have something that's a little bit different that you don't see out there everywhere. You can fold the seats down and and load it with anything you need to. If people knew that I loaded my car with gravel or bark mulch or a wheelbarrow or shoe bags or display fixtures for my business, they would say, my car is not a garage queen. I am not a garage queen. I drive my cars. The car is aggressive. And I like to think that I accomplish my goals within the footwear business and within the sporting goods stores that I uh, sell my footwear to. And it's just peace and tranquility to get in that car and veg out and drive, listening to audiobooks, listening to music. And I, I never mind uh, getting in the car and uh, taking a spin. Well, no, not in that car. You know, I have a, a good friend who I uh, used to vintage race with. He's a retired Army. He's a uh, pediatric neurosurgeon. So this guy's a, a real brain surgeon. And he took it when he was in the first in the Army where he was learning his trade – uh, he was in Germany. He was stationed there. In fact, he's about to leave to go back to Germany for a few years right now. In fact, I'll be meeting up with him next week to talk about uh, taking care of his cars while he's gone. He helped me drive some of his, and he's got some nice cars. So, uh, yeah, he said, Mark, could you come over and drive my cars once in a while while I'm in Germany? I'm like, yeah. And he may live to regret that, but uh, we'll see. At any rate, um, he loves wagons. He's had a lot of old vintage wagons from the 70s and 80s. But one time I met him at the local Mercedes store and um, we drove back to his house in a car just like yours. He was thinking about getting one of those. I know what you're talking about. And I'll tell you one of the coolest things was when we went around a corner, the bolsters would inflate to hold you in the seat as you cornered aggressively. And I went, are you doing that to the seats? He goes, no, they just do it automatically. They do. It's incredible. It's got a self-leveling suspension. And yes, I, uh, again, I like to be very safe. I, I like to be very aware of the traffic around me, but sometimes I do find myself at 65 or 70 on the on or off ramp on the turns, trying to cut the corner as, as carefully as possible. And, 
accelerate out of the highway at already the speed limit, yeah, which happens instantly in that car. Love it. Yeah. But the seats, I love the seats. Yeah. And my car is a 2012. So Mercedes was doing that. They've been doing that for a while. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we love books here. And that's why I had your son in the show. But is there one great book that you could share with our listeners that you found invaluable? One great book. I would like to mention maybe a few if I could. I'm actually reading a book called Surrender by Bono, U2 uh, lead singer. Uh, they redid 40 of their songs. He's written a book about it with the the inspiration behind everything. I find – I love that music. That music speaks to me. I, I hear a lot of – he's on the religious side, but I hear a lot of what he, I want to say, preaches. But uh, it speaks to me. And I, I love what I hear. So I'm enjoying that book right now. But I want to tell you, even though I'm the father of the book thinker, uh, I, I tell I tell people I can't read uh, because I can read three pages before I fall asleep or I and then I have to go back two pages to pick up what I missed. So I love audiobooks, ah, yeah. and I will consume audiobooks nonstop in my car when I'm lucky enough to have to drive to Bangor, Maine or Malone, New York or back from Toronto. Uh, by the way, I bought I brought. The Rolling Stones uh, start me up. It's something I do with all my cars. If your car has a CD player, which mine does because it's 10 years old, I put in the Stones start me up and I tell people that my car can run on rock and roll and <laughs> it can run on the Rolling Stones. But I love um, I love the Malcolm Gladwell books like Tipping Point. I love Jordan Peterson. I love history books. Don't know much about history. I will consume that stuff nonstop. And the nice thing about those is there's so much in information from history that you can listen to it again and pick up things that you missed last time around and, and learn things about whatever. World War II, the Civil War, you know, the founding fathers, anything and everything. I, I love it. So I'm not sure if I answered your question because there hasn't been one book really well, you listed some great ones there. And uh, with a son like Nick from Book Thinkers, all you have to do is say, Nick, what should I read this week? And uh, he'll give you lots of ideas. So, yeah, there you go. He has been so good when it comes to a birthday or Christmas because he will, uh, you know, die with zero. Um, Atomic Habits. I might get those names wrong, but I've been able to read in a sense or listen to them all thanks to him. Things that I normally wouldn't have uh, read or listened to. Fascinating stuff. Well, it's a great thing about his show. He introduces a lot of books that maybe people haven't seen and goes pretty in-depth and with his uh, guests as well. So uh, yeah, we're lucky to have him, as you know, uh, you are for sure in your life. So let's go on the ultimate drive. I'm a bit of an, an enabler, I should say here. I'm going to buy you any car in the world. So we got to park your car in the garage and pick something new today. I'm going to park in your garage. I'm going to pay for everything. Don't worry about it. You can take it on a drive. But here's the key. You can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past. Could be your father. So uh, what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. The ultimate drive for me. What I would like to do is I would like, thank you very much for buying it for me. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. <laughs> Let's get a 2023 E63 wagon final edition. There's only 999 E63s available for the world. There's only 150 wagons. I just saw one advertised in Utah and they want 50,000 over sticker. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like the E63 wagon in Germany on the Autobahn. Okay. <laughs> and I would like to see what it feels like. Again, I've mentioned it before. I'd like to do it in a straight line. You mentioned a racetrack. I don't. I can't afford to ruin a set of tires. Uh, yeah, the, the tracks will eat up tires really fast. 
but I would like to drive in a straight line and I'd like to see what it feels like. I, I saw this video there. I don't know who does them. It's called Insane Flyby and it's on the Autobahn and it is an E63 wagon. And the guy gets the car is modified a bit, but he gets it to 200 miles an hour. Believe it or not, top speed on my car, supposedly, is 186 miles an hour. Yikes, that's so fast. I don't want to try to do that. No. <laughs> I think I'd be scared to death. But I would like to see what it feels like to drive 150 or 160 miles an hour. Throttle to the floor, my friend. A little more to my fantasy, and I, I'm in agreement on the safety. I would like, by the way, in Massachusetts, one of four runways in the world that the space shuttle could actually land. It's in Westfield, Massachusetts. So I want a wide, flat runway, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, I've got two more things to say about the fantasy ride. And I'll tell you that uh, one of Nick's customers, uh, Ken Rusk, who wrote a book. I think oh, maybe you've interviewed he's him. He's been on my show. Yeah, great show. Blue Collar Blue Cash. Collar Cash. He, yeah. was at, he was in Nick's studio and uh, Nick asked me if I'd like to drive him back to the airport. And I said, of course I would because I, in fact, I'll go back and listen to his because I want to hear about his car experiences. And he told me some great stories about the cars. But he's a, a, a bit of a collector and he's got some nice cars and I had a great time with him. It was a lot of fun. But to wrap up about maybe the ultimate drive. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Maybe I need to go to the Utah Salt Flats. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I need to be the only guy there. And that's easy enough to figure out because you just drive back and forth a few times. But there you have a very flat surface, very long uh, area to accomplish that. And uh, maybe that would be uh, a fun trip for me by myself. To see how fast I could drive. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I had a guest on the show that uh, has set a speed record in a uh, uh, very, very modified and insanely fast car, and he's done it on one of those runways that they land the space shuttles on because they're so they're perfectly smooth and safe. That was uh, Johnny Bomber. He was a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, he went three hundred ten point eight miles per hour. In a 2006 Ford GT, uh, world's fastest streetcar record. So uh, I should connect you with Johnny. That'd be a lot of fun. By the way, I, I did mention to Ken that I'd uh, love to drive my car fast. And he told me that he, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, he does rent a racetrack uh, once or twice a year. And he gets about 10 different people out there at the racetrack. And he told me off the record, he said, uh, yeah, you could bring your wagon out there one day. But again... I I couldn't spend a day on the track, rip my tires to shreds, and not be able to drive home. So, and I, I couldn't do what I couldn't afford to do it. What I learned, and I've been on many racetracks, and I used to race, is the throttle does go both ways. So, you know, you don't have to be that rough on the car. So, uh, there's that that opportunity as well. Mark, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today. This has been so much fun, and I think I could talk to you forever. Before I let you go, though, could you share maybe some parting words of wisdom or advice with us? One of the things that I remember my father saying, and I've I use it with my kids, I, I mentioned that uh, I try to bring them up the way that I was brought up. And of course, I have to give my mom all kinds of credit, too, because it takes two to tango. And when my dad was gone, there was my mother with five kids. But everybody's heard this. There are three kinds of people, those that watch things happen, those that make things happen, and those that wonder what happened. And I like to make things happen. And I try to tell my kids you know, make things happen. If you're going to do it, you're responsible for yourself and uh, do it on your own. Make the right decision. Make those things happen for yourself.
Well, I've only met one of your kids, and that's Nick, and certainly he listened to you because uh, he's, he's killing it with what he's doing. So uh, my hat's off to you and your wife for raising uh, four wonderful boys. How can people follow you? Is there a way to follow you? Do you play in the social media world? Or maybe what's the best way to go buy some Fila shoes? I'll tell you what, I, I, I do not have a website. I am an independent sales rep, so... It's an interesting process. People are always interested in what I do if they have any interest in athletic footwear. And by the way, we didn't talk about the Nike movie. I know some of those guys. So uh, there could be three or 400 different half pair samples. And what I would do is I would take the shoe to the local retailer. They decide if they like it, they place their orders, and then it takes six or eight months to deliver it. So I'm completely behind the scenes. Uh, again, an independent sales rep. I'm not a company employee, but uh, I I do. Uh, I would love to uh, post some content on Instagram. I, I am there. I don't even know how anybody would find me, but I said to one of my kids, it wasn't Nick. I said, hey, Chandler, I'm going to do a startup video and I'm just going to start my car and let people listen to my car and look at the exhaust <laughs> pipe. There you go. And uh, I think 4,600 people have watched it. There you go. I don't know how or why, but uh, I've got a lot of ideas with some music and with my car, and I would love to uh, get a little bit of a following. And I do go to that Lars Anderson auto show twice a year. I go to German Car Day and I go to Mercedes Day. The next uh, Mercedes Day, I think, is September 10th or 11th. And I'd like to invite you, Mark Green, to come to uh, Massachusetts at some point, stay at my house. That'd be fun. Let's go to the Lars Anderson Auto Museum. You would you absolutely go. be in seventh heaven. Well, that's very generous. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do. I've never even been to Massachusetts. So uh, there you go. There's a little a- bit of history here. You'd have a good time. Yeah. But we plan around a lawn event and they do have Porsche Day. I've got a uh, great mechanic that specializes in Porsche and Mercedes. Nice. My car doesn't have to go to a dealer. But... Uh, Uh, You'd love to meet him, too. It'd be a lot of fun. That's very kind of you. Very great. All right. I'll make sure I put a link to that on Mark's show notes page so you guys can uh, listen to his car and follow along. And uh, we'll show him the love from the Cars Yeah audience. And, of course, I'll put a link to Fila.com because they make some pretty darn cool shoes. you got to give them some love, too, so that you can keep putting fuel in the tank of that uh, thirsty car of yours. Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you for spending some time with me today, Mark, and sharing your inspirations. It's been great fun. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!